Hey, I'm Nick Cook, and you're listening to the Warm Blanket Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Warm Blanket, the podcast where we embark on a journey to see what makes us feel good about Star Trek, where is our love comes from, and what it means for us. In short, what is our warm blanket? My name is Gary, I'm your host today, and I'm very honored to welcome here my good friend Nick. He's best known for playing Captain Hunter on the online Star Trek fan series called Starship Intrepid. Their new episode, A Treasure for Ages, will be out later this year, that we're going to talk about too. He's a passionate Trekkie with a big heart, and I'm very lucky to welcome him here today. Let's give a warm welcome to Nick. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm good, thank you. And uh, how are you tonight, Gary? Couldn't be any better. Good, <laughs> good in a in a bit in a good in a good company. <laughs> I don't know about the warm heart. Um, I think my my daughter might argue I have a little black burned coal in there, <laughs> but uh, my wife probably more so. But uh, that's a whole other discussion. No, oh, come on! I I I know you exaggerating. You're a, you're a, you're an awesome person, <laughs> and I'm really I'm really glad that you um, finally we made it because we've been talking about this for a while to to actually sit down, um, but somehow time and management mainly from my side. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm no better. My time management is terrible, terrible time management, <laughs> and that's my wife shouting at my daughter. So you know, in the background, but um, yeah. Um, no, you're not alone in that problem at all. <laughs> all right, so um, before we jump into the, um, the deep stuff, um, there's something that I really wanted to ask um, for a long time now, and I, I, I don't think I ever asked you this question before. What the I'm hell is... Ma- I'm already married, okay. I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, but, you know. Damn it. Damn it, Jim. <laughs> what the hell is Polaris? Oh, that's a long <laughs> and complicated story. Um, back, the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> back in the early 2000s, when, uh, well, early to mid 2000s, um, when I was working on the first episode of Intrepid, um, there were a few fan films kind of burbling around at the time, and a chap called Dennis Bailey, who was a writer on a couple of episodes of Next Generation, um, Tin Man and First Contact, the episode, not the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some interaction with him and chatted to him because he was interested in a fan film called he was a big fan of a fan film called Starship Exeter um, so we interacted quite a bit and he did some effects work for me and he was familiar with what I was doing and some other people working in fan films fan films were doing and at the time he'd been thinking about doing his own fan film which kind of evolved into actually let's do an original science fiction kind of space mm-hmm. opera type thing so that's where Starship Polaris came from so back in December 2009, a bunch of us descended on in, uh, God, what state was it? I think it was Maryland. So it was Maryland we were in. We were near Washington, D.C. anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we filmed this little independent sci-fi film called Polaris. So it was the interiors we were shooting. So mm-hmm. he had a partial bridge set built up, which actually looked amazing and was a lot <laughs> of fun to work on. Um, and we shot all the interiors and it was a lot of fun and it went really well i mean it had its problems but it, mm-hmm. it it was just a great experience and the plan was to shoot the exteriors the following year which did happen they shot all mm-hmm. the exteriors i wasn't there for that because i was only in the shipboard scenes um and that was that so it went into post-production and it's been stuck in post-production for about the last 10 years uh-huh. so it, it I, funnily enough, I was speaking to Alex, who is 
currently supposed to be editing it. Um, but he's been he's moved countries. Just that he got married and moved to Brazil this earlier this year. So obviously he's his broadband is a lot slower and his Mac's mm-hmm. still in storage and he's got a lot of kind of logistical problems that have caused him issues this year. Mm-hmm. So it is chipping along. I'm told it will be finished one of these days. And I think the, tra- the there's a trailer online for it. I think it looks like a lot of fun. It's very much a kind of, very much in the vein of Forbidden Planet, that kind of tone mm-hmm. of 1950s sci-fi. But the visuals are obviously very updated. Um, so I think all of us that were involved in it were very excited to see it done and see it released. And mm-hmm. I'm hopeful it will be eventually. <laughs> uh, but it has been, as the saying goes, a long road from there to here. But yeah, I mean, the trailer's online. If you search for Starship Polaris, um, I, I think it looks great. Others may disagree, but it, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you think kind of maybe if someone had done a spin off of. Forbidden Planet in the 70s maybe, that kind of Mm -hmm. vibe Um, but I like Dennis's writing and I really like the script and I like the archive, I mean I I was playing the first officer on this ship uh, which for me was fun, I was playing against Paul Seba (laughs) I was playing against Paul Seba from from Starship Farragut he Mm -hmm. was the captain uh, and there was, yeah, it was just a lot of fun to act on, I got to shout a lot and jump around and you know we were in battle and it, it was just an awful lot of fun mm-hmm. was that your I first still... um, acting job in a in a fan film cult um it was my probably i would argue it was my first non-star trek acting mm-hmm. gig that's it maybe it was my second as i did do a couple of student things after that as around about mm-hmm. that time as well um but yeah, I'd done a few fan films at that point, including kind of like I'd done Star Trek Phase Two: Blood and Fire at that point, I was and I'd about done to ask about yeah, that too. <laughs> and I'd done a few Hidden Frontiers at that point as well. Oh yeah, a few yeah crossovers yeah, yeah. with Hidden Frontier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which interestingly, Rob Caves is thinking about a reunion. Really? Yeah, um, that would be he, awesome to see. He he, he messaged me. Couple of months ago, actually, saying, "Yeah, I'm thinking about it." Well, it's like, "Well, Rob, we're coming over in the summer. We'd be totally up for that." It's like, awesome. So, it's great. And then, of course, COVID nineteen hit. But that is not a bad thing. So this may still happen, but giving us a bit more time to, you know, maybe plan it is not a bad thing because Rob sold off most of his stuff because mm-hmm. he needed to at the time. So he doesn't have costumes. He doesn't have props. Mm-hmm. Oh, He'd need new camera gear. I mean, he's still got camera gear, but it's very out of date camera gear now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still, I'm hopeful that'll happen. Actually, maybe next year. We'll see. But that would be fun. I would, I, as I said to Rob, totally anything he wants to do, hidden frontier wise. If he wants me, then I'm in. Because you know what? They were the scrappy um, guys with nothing that mm-hmm. did the best they could with very little resources and I think they were very yeah. creative and I've always had a lot of respect for the work they produced it wasn't always great work I mean even Rob would say you know it wasn't always polished uh, things like that but they just did remarkable things with so little technology and I think Hidden Frontier and Starship Exeter I'm a big fan of what the Johnson brothers did with Exeter um, they, those guys really kind of paved the way um, I think 
I think um, they did a lot for making paving the way for things like New Voyages and later Star Trek Continues. Um, and I, I suspect someone like James probably would have moved into fan films, but I think seeing what other people had done stuff before him definitely gave him a. I mean, he may disagree with me, but I would say that that gave him a push. And I know James was James was admired what the Johnson brothers did, uh, and he certainly had said he was a fan of Rob's work on Hidden Frontier. So I'm assuming those were definitely motivators in his own production. But I love all these things. I mean, fan films. I mean, they go from the sublimely ridiculous to the incredibly polished and everything yeah. in between. Um, in mine, I would argue that mine is somewhere in between, although some people would probably argue that they're ridiculously um, terrible. But uh, these things are all a matter of perspective. And, you know, even yeah. with professional Star Trek productions, there are people who hate <laughs> everything and people that love everything and people everywhere in between. So, yeah. you know, you can't please or displease everyone. You know, we're all different and we all like and hate different things. I don't know what my point is there, but yeah. <laughs> I'm rambling, which is what I do. But uh, that's fun. That, that's, that's how we should go. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's good because I ramble. I, I, I like it. I like it. I ramble a lot too um, when I get the chance to talk. But um, this is not about me. This is about you. <laughs> well, <laughs> a little bit of you both. May you may regret that, but you know. No, I think it's gonna be fine. It's it's fun. Um, so yes, you've been involved with um, uh, with film productions. You currently working on one. Um, how did you get into film film productions? I've told this story quite a lot in various venues, but I, so I, I'll keep it as short as possible. I used to run the local Star Trek fan club in Dundee, and um, late early two thousands, membership was starting to drop off, and this was around about the time where when I started the club there was no internet, or certainly no internet that was generally available to people, mm -hmm. and you had dial up. So now, if people want to watch something legally or not you go on the internet yeah. and you download it one way or mm -hmm. another um when i was running a club you couldn't do that that wasn't an option and you could wait months and years for new episodes of star trek in the uk i mean they just they now something comes out it comes out almost around about the same time here we don't have years waiting back when i when i was a lad we waited mm -hmm. years for new episodes so mm -hmm. the big appeal of the club for most people was the fact that we had, I had friends in the States, they would send me episodes. I don't know why I'm waving, because I know this is just audio, but I'm waving <laughs> my hands because I do that. That's so they would, they would record they episodes imagine. for me, mm -hmm. and they would post them over to the States. So we'd get them with, at this time, it could take up to six weeks for a package to arrive. Now you can get a package within 48 hours, 24 hours sometimes, but yeah. back then, postage took up to like six weeks. Mm -hmm. We are living in a golden age. Um, anyway around about the early 2000s around about the time that enterprise was starting to wind down uh well enterprise never wind down it's ended but you know what i mean mm -hmm. um people were starting to download things we were starting to download things um <laughs> anyway because a lot of people were downloading stuff they weren't mm -hmm. coming to the club so much and the people that were coming to the club a lot of them would just sit there and watch the episodes and you know if you if any of the rest of us are kind of having a conversation you get shushed you know, you'd have maybe 20 people in chairs watching an episode on the screen and the rest of them sitting, and a few other of us would be sitting around going to have a wee quiet conversation, and always just, shh! And you're like, okay. <laughs> anyway, I was getting a lot busier with work at that time. I'd just qualified as a nurse. 
mm -hmm. um, a few years before this point, and I was getting a lot busier. And it was like, you know what? I'm working weekends, things like that. I don't have the energy for this anymore. And actually, it's not worth the effort I'm putting into it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that was the right mindset at the time, but it was maybe also a bit burnt out on running it as well. Mm -hmm. So there was a core group of us, and we were all role players, and we role played, and we had a Star Trek role playing group. Mm -hmm. And I kind of said, you know what? Why don't we do an audio novel? An audio mm -hmm. novel would be great. Yeah. And I'd seen some fan films, I'd seen a little bit of Hidden Frontier. And I think this was around about the time that the Frost Exeter came out. But doing a fan film myself was not something that occurred to me. I thought, let's try and do an audio novel. And Dylan Feeney, who's one of our members, and he's composed, he composed our theme tune as well, he said to me, why don't we just do a fan film? I kind of went, yeah, we'll do a fan <laughs> film. What a great idea. I hadn't occurred to me. Dylan said, yeah, why not? Steve Hammond was there, and he's, he, you know, he's done a lot of our kind of, he's done a lot of our directing, most of our directing, really, mm -hmm. uh, and a lot, um, almost all of our videography. Uh, and he edited the first episode and he's edited on and off since then um, he kind of said I've got a camcorder well yeah you got, you can direct <laughs> and you can record it anyway we thought this will be fine this will take us a year we can do a film no bother no bother Hidden Frontier punts out six in a year we can do one in a year <laughs> turns out that making a film is actually really difficult and you can't just throw it together with your friends in a couple of weeks mm -hmm. so yeah Anyway, long story in the short, it took us a lot longer. It took a lot of work. There was a lot of things we had to learn, and a lot of it was on the go as we were doing it. So sometimes we would shoot a scene, go back and look and go, oh, that's not going to work. We'll need to reshoot that, <laughs> things like that. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes a lot of stuff we did was exterior, so we went outside and shot stuff, and sometimes we had to reshoot stuff because of weather or other things like that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'd shoot things and look at it, yeah, that's fine, and look at it and go, well, actually, no, we want it to be a bit more dynamic. Let's reshoot it! So all told, I think it took us about four years to finish our first film. Um, I think it was we were pretty ambitious with the film. Um, there was a lot of effect work in it. There was a lot of green screen work in it. Um, and there was a fair bit of action in it. As a product of its time, I think it holds up. If you compare it to anything that people are making now, it's like... <laughs> Quality-wise, mm -hmm. it's not amazing, but I think otherwise, I think the story holds together pretty well. Um, it's not perfect. There's a lot of things I would change about, but I think it holds pretty well. But anyway, it was one of those things. It's like someone said, "Let's do a fan film." I said, "Why not? It must be easy." <laughs> I'm an idiot, but you know, I you know, I've increasingly learned that I'm an idiot as the older I get. But uh, that mm -hmm. was certainly one of my um, brightest and dumbest moments. <laughs> But either way, I've, I've, fan films have brought me an awful lot of joy over the last years. Um, yeah, an awful lot of joy in that time. Um, I mean, it's been nearly 17 years I've been working on fan films, but I've just had so much fun doing it. It's not always been fun. Sometimes it's a lot of hard work and it's mm -hmm. frustrating, it has to be said as well. Mm -hmm. But I think as a fan, it's just been in, the joy I've gotten out of it is incalculable, uh, and it's pure and it outweighs any of the negatives I've had. I mean, a lot of I've made some really good friends from fan films. I mean, Dennis Bailey wrote for Star Trek: Next Generation. I mean, seriously, how, it, what? what? <laughs> um, I, I've acted in something that he wrote and directed. Um, I've acted on original series sets in a film with Denise Crosby, directed by David Gerald, who wrote The Trouble with Tribbles. 
Yeah. I mean, I know that's not impressive to everybody, but for for a fan, that's like remarkable. And I mean, I've done multiple um, crossovers with Hidden Frontier, and I've got some great friends there that I've made. I used to love working with Risha Denny, who played Shelby there, because um, mm-hmm. I wrote a little crossover scene in our first episode with her, and Robert agreed to shoot that for us. Mm-hmm. And I I wrote it very straight, and it, you know, Shelby teases Hunter a bit. And she added just this layers to it, just in her performance. And I went, that's amazing. And then that kind of relationship between those characters grew out mm-hmm. of her performance, really. Um, so that was fun. But at the point I'm making, I've made so many friends from this. I mean, it's 10 years ago last this month, next month that my wife and I went on a um, road trip to Yosemite with some of the Hidden Frontier guys. I mean, we spent like six days in your, you know, driving from LA in Yosemite, hiked the Glacier Point Trail, just amazing. But things like that would not have happened to me if it mm-hmm. hadn't been for fan films. Um, I would never have gone to Washington DC to work with and worked with, on a film with Dennis or to upstate New York or it, it just it, it blows my mind the people I've met through these things and the experience I've ever had and I mean gone to Vasquez Rocks about four times because of people I met through fan mm-hmm. films um, yeah it's it's it's, it's amazing um, and you know for scrappy little cheap fan films like I make to have had some of these experiences I don't know it's not that impressive to most people but to me as a fan it's just brought me that much joy and I just love doing these things it's why you know if rob calls me up and says we want to do a film next year he's like absolutely i'm there i love working with you guys <laughs> um yeah no this is awesome you know like like you and um and rob and everyone who you mentioned hidden frontier even dark armada um at one point oh, um, robin robin like, 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 nice they, guy. awesome they are all awesome and like like you guys do things do these things that myself i was always dreaming about like I, I had this fantasy when I was younger and just you know like oh it would be awesome to like they have the uniform and I, they didn't have a uniform but actually my mom uh, was a tailor so she she made up a few uniforms for me um, which I still have I don't fit them anymore but they still I still have them I know that problem <laughs> <laughs> and it was awesome to just you know even just to wear them and and I didn't I, I remember when I had uh, I had the first contact uniform it was fleece. Uh, made out of fleece. It was really warm, especially on um, um, many occasions, and I wasn't really a small guy, um, if you know what I mean. And I got my first TOS communication, and it was so out of <laughs> out of context. But I was like, finally, I can like you know, I can do things. <laughs> and 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 seeing you guys and and Hidden Frontier. I remember I was I loved I used to love, and I still every now and then look back to Hidden Frontier because what they did it was for the time it was remarkable. If and you look at the look, technology oh they yeah. had, you, you just can't fathom. I think people very people look at Hidden Frontier, especially now, and think, "Oh, that looks <laughs> that that doesn't look great." But if you realize what they were working with, and we did not have the technology, they did not have the technology back then that mm. we have now. Making fan films now is a hundred times easier than it was twenty years ago, and mm. it's twenty years ago this year. That Rob released his first episode. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, really, that's just yeah, it's insane how it's, technology changes. It's and insane. What's available? And yeah, the resources available to us now are amazing. I mean, I've just bought a new camera that's like 4K recording in like a micro four thirds body, and the footage from it's amazing. 
And yeah, and and you know, tying up to to this um, intrepid, mm-hmm. your love letter to to the fandom, mm-hmm. and for your for your love to Star Trek. How did you come up with the intrepid? Some of it is based on our old role playing group because some of the characters from our role playing group translated mm-hmm. across to that, um, and some of it. One of the ideas Steve Hammond had early on that did kind of make it into the early drafts and did kind of stick in there, but then kind of got forgotten about was the idea mm-hmm. that we're so far out on the frontier that you know, if you if you looked at the stars, you couldn't actually see the stars because if you look in one direction, there's no stars out there because we're on the mm-hmm. edge of the galaxy. That kind of got left by the wayside as we got on because because we got involved with Hidden Frontier and stuff like that, it wasn't practical for us to be that far out. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, my idea was that a I kind of wanted a crew that were not like the best of the best, <laughs> and they're not the best of the best. Um, although actually they've grown into a pretty good crew. Um, yeah. And the other thing I wanted was I wanted more civilians in it. I wanted to see more of normal people, like which is why we put in the merchant service. Although I don't think we did them as much justice as I would like, and the colony. Mm. If I could go back, one of the things I would absolutely ditch. I had this whole conspiracy when I was writing the script, I was trying to put little tips of the hats to various things in, and at the time I thought, yeah, we can do multiple films. Mm-hmm. So I had this whole arc built in. The reality was that a lot of that didn't happen, but I put in this conspiracy subplot with Section 31 and stuff like that. I really wish I hadn't put that in, because I think the core story of you know, Federation trying to help these kind of independent, slightly grumpy civilians build their colony mm-hmm. when they don't really want the help that's enough of a story. I didn't need a conspiracy subplot to it. Um, And I think that kind of detracts from the story I was trying to tell. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it is what it is, and that's what I wrote at the time. But I think this idea of the civilians and Starfleet trying to work together, but also pulling, not pulling in the same direction and not always Mm -hmm. getting on. Because, you know, a lot of the things like we hear about the utopia and blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, Deep Space Nine pretty much shows that, yes, Cisco says right. It's easy to be a saint in paradise. Earth is a paradise, but out on the frontier, when it's not just the Federation and there's other problems, it's not so easy. And I mean, we saw things on TNG with the Mackie and things like that. That weren't, there weren't people there that didn't always agree with the Federation or agree with Starfleet. So, yeah. I wanted to build on that idea that you know, these people were there. You could work with them, and sometimes you didn't. Their differences were not as wide as they thought they were, and I wanted to show them kind of pulling apart and then pulling together. And we kind of do that, but not as well as I would have liked. So that was my idea for that. You know, they would be at odds, and then they would come together and work together. It's not a very original idea, but that was where I was going with it. And that's what I want to show because I don't think we see that enough. We don't see enough of ordinary ordinary people in Star Trek. Um, yeah. It's all the, always the best of the best. So again, with the intrepid crew, I didn't want it to be the best of best. I didn't want Hunter to be, you know, great captain. He's basically a cross between um, Jack O'Neill and Howard Hunter from um, Hill Street Blues. But you know, <laughs> if you've ever watched it, you're probably too young to watch Hill Street Blues. But you know, yeah, but I know who Jack O'Neill is though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, uh, you know, Hunter's kind of played to be a bit like O'Neill in that he's smarter mm-hmm. than he makes himself out to be. But he's also a little bit the butt of the jokes, and I also got a little bit of. He's a little bit arrogant and slightly up himself, which I got from Howard Hunter. <laughs> a little bit uptight, maybe. Mm-hmm. But some of that's kind of an acquired veneer because he likes his crew. In that, 
he lets his crew have a little bit of freedom and kind of take the mickey out of him a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, he thinks it's good for morale. He may be wrong in that, but that's what he does. But that's fine. It's just human nature, I guess, at the end. Yeah. And then your character is evolving as well um, during Absolutely. the during the episodes and during the during the years that you've been mm-hmm. portraying this character. So, Treasure for Ages. Mm-hmm. That was a um, very um, well supported <laughs> um, episode, and it will be it will be out in this year. Um, and I watched the trailer a few times and. It's interesting. It's it's brilliant. I'm kind of wait to to actually watch it. I, I love your love your productions. I've, I watched almost all of them. <laughs> Still have a few to catch up with. But what we can expect without giving any any spoilers. I. Hmm. <laughs> it's interesting because when I write these things, they tend to. Uh, I guess anybody that writes will tell you this. You have an idea, and then you write, and once you write, it kind of takes on a bit of a life of its own. Mm-hmm. So it evolved from this idea. I don't want without giving anybody away. I had mm-hmm. this idea about you know. Um, I'm trying to think of a way to say this without giving anything about the story away. Solving a mystery that's been there for a long time, and it's about revisiting that mystery because. Once upon a time, we went there and tried to solve it. We didn't solve it. We had to leave, and now we're coming back and trying to look at it again. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I see. Yeah, but obviously, I've added in this, this other twist that actually something bad happened on this previous time, and Hunter's coming back because um, that's what you said. He has some guilt the old around demons it. that you have absolutely. To he has mm-hmm. some guilt around this, and he blames himself for things that went wrong. Um, so it's about following up on that, and Hunter being Hunter, and as imperfect as I like to portray him doesn't always make the smartest decision so he's he does make a fairly impulsive decision in this I'll let you decide whether it was justified or not um, yeah uh, there's some stuff that I actually cut from one of the scenes because we were under kind of time constraints I didn't think the scene ran as well as it so I've trimmed it down quite a bit so there's a little bit of the nuances I think taken out of it but I think the message gets across well enough um, where his crew try and talk him out of doing the dumb thing that he probably shouldn't do. Um, but yeah, so I, it's kind of revisiting Hunter's past and things that have happened, but one of the cool things we get to do in it, um, if you're familiar with the ship, the RRS Discovery, the ship Scott took to the Antarctic. Scott I'm the rolling Antarctic. my eyes at the moment. Yeah, that's okay. Yes. <laughs> so Scott to the Antarctic in the early 1900s, Hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Falcon Scott took a ship to the Antarctic. He died, but his ship survived and his ship came back to Dundee. Um, so he took the RRS Discovery, though. I think that was in his second. I can't remember all the historical details anyway, but okay. the RRS Discovery is a ship that Captain Scott took to the Antarctic. Mm-hmm. And it's birthed in Dundee and it's been restored in Dundee. So we got to film a scene aboard it. Oh, wow. For this film. Um, and it's Spoilers. <laughs> quite, a, quite a pivotal. I've not been very private about that. It's quite a pivotal scene. Um, mm-hmm. So. There might be some implication that there might be some time travel involved in that, but you know, or not, ooh, ooh, or ooh, not, or ooh. not. But you know, um, it's a fun <laughs> film. There's a little bit of an action in it. There's mm-hmm. some characters that are not what you the usual kind of stuff that characters into it mm-hmm. in it. I think it's fun. It run, the running time's about 18 minutes. Wow. It's a little bit over the guidelines time, but, but yeah. Those are guidelines, so and I'm, exactly, and I'm, and I'm they are guidelines. guidelines. Um, and as as CBS has said, they are not policing it. So if you're a couple of minutes over, they're unlikely to do any say anything. Yeah, if you do unless 100, you, 
120 minutes, they're probably gonna gonna raise some eyebrows. Well, the guidelines, I think it's one of those things that it depends on how many ticks you get on the red flags. Mm -hmm. And I think going one or two minutes over the guidelines, I don't think anybody's gonna... I wouldn't intentionally do it, but the edit just kind of came mm -hmm. after that. And to be fair, that does include the end credits. So the, running, the mm -hmm. actual running time is probably more like 17 minutes. Which I think is fun. Okay. It's it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> fun. So our plan was to screen at Edinburgh Comic Con in April, mm -hmm. um, but that obviously didn't happen because the convention has been postponed. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things we need. There's a wee bit of a wee tiny bit of ADR we need to do with it, which mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to do until the uh, lockdowns relaxed a bit, and then I'll hopefully get that done. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've got so I've kind of kind of. We were rushing to get it ready for April, but we've kind of pulled it back a little bit and say, look, because Dylan's doing the score and do the final sign. I said, it's okay, take your time, get it fun. Mm -hmm. As long as we've got it finished for autumn, that's fine. Mm -hmm. So it'll probably be out. It'll be out before winter. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm excited because I mean, I, I've seen a complete cut with a score, mm -hmm. um, not a final and sound effects. Uh, it's not a final sound mix, but actually, I think it holds up really well. I enjoyed it and. Um, yeah, I can't wait. I, I can't. I can't wait to. I can't wait to watch it. Um, I as I mentioned, I I loved your uh, love your work before, and I think this work is gonna be beautiful. I, I'm I'm excited <laughs> to get it out there. I'm also excited for our next film, which is the one we crowdfunded for earlier this year, which. Uh... Oh, that was you see you see I I was like thinking like when I I said like very very supported, that was the supported one. <laughs> Yeah, that's echoes. I, did, that, I, I, that's I, okay. didn't, make, no, I it, didn't make my it, research properly. Yeah, I know you're fine. Don't worry about it. Um, it. It's confusing to keep all these titles correct, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, so that one echoes, which mm -hmm. may also be some time travel involved in this, and this is completely unplanned. But there you go. Um, it's just the stories I've ended up writing. Um, that we've filmed interiors for, so we have a lot of exteriors to shoot, which we're mm -hmm. planning to shoot over the summer. That might have to be postponed a wee bit, but we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm fairly optimistic we might get to shoot in late July or August. Mm -hmm. So, if that if it's much beyond August, I think we'll have to postpone it until next year. Well, you can still do it in in a in a safe the, distance. The problem is the problem is mm -hmm. weather's really unpredictable, and I've fought the weather on exteriors before. It mm -hmm. gets cold, it gets wet, it gets windy. These are all things that make filmmaking really really difficult. Um, if it's one of those things. Wind's a killer, but if mm -hmm. it's just windy, worst case scenario, you can ADR dialogue. That's a lot of work, though, and I'd rather mm -hmm. avoid that. Rain, you can sometimes work with rain, mm -hmm. but you need consistent across all your shots. So it's raining one day and bright sunshine the next. Mm -hmm. That's no good. Cold, I've shot in the cold often enough that I'm not keen to do it again. I would do it for me, but a lot of the cast, it, it's it's a lot to put them through especially when they're in costume and things like that so mm -hmm. and we're doing multiple takes over and then there's like kind of standing around for times waiting for setups and things like that so i i'm, I'm quite fixed on it. it's like if we can't get it done during the summer this year i think i'll postpone mm -hmm. it till spring next year mm -hmm. but hopefully i mean we could probably push as late as september but mm -hmm. if we pass september i don't think I, i've shot in october in scotland before and it's not fun uh, I think I would probably not want to shoot in October, and I don't think I'd want to put our cast through that. Mm -hmm. um, 
especially I'm not giving much away here because I have made it fairly obvious that it's time, time travel to this next story mm -hmm. um, and it does involve an actor playing a character from the original series era so mm -hmm. she would be in the mini yeah that's little, little a, spoiler do that too. is not something <laughs> I want to put a, an actress or an actor for that matter mm -hmm. through in the cold no that's that's just a bad plan and that's that's when people generally act on these things and I know there are exceptions but certainly for my films people mm -hmm. aren't getting paid for it they're coming along and they're volunteering their time um, so I feel there's a requirement to make sure A they're fed and B I don't want them freezing their ass off because then and I have done it, people have done it and they've come and they've worked and they've been cold uh, and they've been wet as well um, it's not fair on them and it's asking too much from them so I'm not really that keen to ask them to work mm -hmm. in freezing cold weather again as much as, a, as much as it's painful to postpone things I'd rather have my cast be happy and not miserable on a shoot because if they're miserable on a shoot I'm su surprising how many people it is surprising to me how many people come back and work on these things again having done one and having been on shoots where they're cold and wet mm -hmm. and complaining how cold and wet they are and justifiably complaining how cold and wet they are and then the next year they come back and do another one and you're like I can't believe you're still doing these um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not willing to put people in that position unless it, there's exceptions where I might do it like if we're halfway through a shoot and the weather change and stuff like that if we can weather it we would discuss it at the time. Mm -hmm. I want to avoid that as much as possible because I think um, I need to not put my cast through that because they're, <laughs> they're very kind and very generous to put up with bad conditions for no pay. But yeah, I think I should stop asking them to do things like that. Oh, bless. Well, we talked quite a lot about uh, what you do now, how you get involved with um, things. Um, one thing I, I think would be good to explore how did you get into Star Trek? What was what? How or rather when or how? That's <laughs> that's that's. I I can't remember exactly how I got into, but I can remember watching the animated series first run. Wow! As a kid, I was a kid in the seventies, and the animated. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, I was really into space nineteen ninety nine. Funnily enough. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why that's funnily enough. It just I was a big fan of Space 1999, mm -hmm. um, but the animated Star I loved Star Trek, and I I very I have strong memories of watching animated Star Trek. I can still remember watching the Counterclock Incident, and I must have been five, six, something like that. Um, I remember a birthday party, and again I must have been five or six. So I remember playing Captain Kirk at a birthday <laughs> party. Um, I had this little high chair from when I was a kid and that was the captain's chair and stuff like that that I mm -hmm. still used to sit in and yeah um, I was a sad and pathetic nerd boy but you know <laughs> nothing much has changed really uh, I've gone from playing Captain Kirk as a kid to playing Captain Hunter as an adult <laughs> I'm sure there's some kind of some psych I'm sure a psychologist would have a field day with me but you know yes yeah, so, I mean it's just it that. I watched as a kid I loved it and um I basically grew up with it and it kind of grew up with me and I remember it's funny looking at fandom reacting to things like Discovery and Picard now or actually when Enterprise came out or Voyager or Deep Space Nine because yeah. I mean I, I was not a first generation fan but probably second generation fan mm -hmm. um, growing up with it in the 70s and when I heard about Next Generation I was like no 
<laughs> no, 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 no. You can't have Star Trek without Kirk. A Spock. Oh my God. Star Trek is Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. You can't do it. And um, so it was 87 at start, and I don't think... I saw my first episode in 89, I think. It was on DV, It was on video. Mm-hmm. Rented on video from probably Blockbuster or whatever was around at the time where I lived. In fact, it was probably even a little independent video rental place. Mm-hmm. And um, I rented The Naked Now and Code of Honor. I didn't even see Encounter at Farpoint first because mm-hmm. this this was what they had, so I rented it. And I watched those two episodes, and I was convinced it was terrible. Well, actually, to be fair, those two episodes are terrible. Um, that was not a good introduction to Next Gen. Mm-hmm. So I thought, pa, I'm right. It's terrible. It's terrible. I hate it. <laughs> terrible. It's right. You can't do it. Can't do it. Can't be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought, well, I'll give it a chance. I'll watch Encounter at Farpoint. So I rented Encounter at Farpoint, and I watched it. Pa, that's terrible. <laughs> and to be fair, I can kind of watch Encounter at Farpoint and go, actually, yeah, it's okay, but it's not great, is it? It's not. It's, it's not the best. It's pilot. not the best pilot for sure. Def- it's not even the best episode. But you know, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I wasn't given it another chance. I was done with it. Mm-hmm. It was rubbish. Terrible. Terrible. Um, ah, how can Gene Roddenberry be involved with this rubbish? Um, <laughs> anyway, so, but this, I was in uni at this point anyway, and I remember. I think it was around about 1990, uh, and I got wind that someone was getting like videotapes from America with episodes on them and someone offered to me said I was like ugh ugh okay I'll give it another shot and it was season two mm-hmm. so I remember and I watched it feeling oh it's a bit better and I got to this is gonna sound ridiculous but I got to an episode called The Dauphin it was a Wesley episode which episode? The Dauphin it was a Wesley episode oh yes 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 with yeah. the metamorphic yeah. shapeshifter that's the one and there's one where he's standing in an asteroid field mm-hmm. and I remember watching that and thinking I like that. Oh, okay. That was a that was that was all right actually. And then I watched Pen Pals and I was like, oh, this is quite good. <laughs> then I watched Q Who and I was like, holy shit, I like this. Um, so by the end of season two, I was like, oh yeah, well more 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 more. <laughs> so I got to season three and I remember what and and these these were really bad copies and it was like videotapes. I mean, if you've got a videotape, you video something off and then you record it again and again and again. And it just degrades every time you see it. So it's like, you know if you get like an old video on YouTube from like about 2005 that's like postage stamp size, that's mm-hmm. kind of the quality the video is getting. So, but anyway, season three came along and was like, okay, quite enjoying this. And then it got to Who Watches the Watches and I was like, oh my god, I love this show. <laughs> and it just got better and better from there. And I remember when Best of Both Worlds dropped, and I was like, "Oh my!" <laughs> it, just like on the edge of my seat, and that was a long summer waiting for part two. But I mean, to this day, Who Watches the Watches is still in my top five episodes. Um, I mean, I, I'm still a massive TNG fan. TNG is still my favorite series, mm-hmm. um, and that's not a reflection of any others. I think that DS9 is an amazing series, and there's a lot of ways DS9 is a better series than TNG. But the, D- the TNG crew on my crew, and that's from someone that grew up with Kirk and Spock and McCoy, mm-hmm. but the TNG crew on my crew, I grew up with them. I mean, I matured with them, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a lot of loyalty there, which is probably why I like Picard so much. But, you know, um, yeah. So that's kind of how I became a fan, and it's been a long and interesting journey, it has to be said. 
I have a feeling that if Sean Trakana to listen to this now, he, he's smiling a lot because I, I know he's he's a big big advocate of the animated series and he loves the show. And uh, I myself, I, I if I'm sure if you remember, but I reviewed it a few years ago on my channel. Yeah, watched the first time and it was awesome. The animated it's show, it's got like any of the Star Trek shows, it's got its weak episodes and its strong episodes, and yeah. some of its stories are really good. I mean, Yesteryear is amazingly good. Mm. I actually like um, what's the one? Beyond the Father Star. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I love that episode, and there's just something about that episode. I I, I like stories that kind of like archaeological mysteries and ancient races and things like that mm-hmm. um, which obviously one of our short films is kind of along a similar kind of vein as well <laughs> the story's kind mm-hmm. of got a, a bit of an element of that to it but I love stuff like that um, but yeah I, 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 I think the animated series is for what it is a really good show and I think I, I think you could say if you wanted to make a Star Trek movie you could look at some of the ideas in there yeah. you know I mean, they obviously mined some of the ideas from the animated series for next gen. I mean, holodecks come from the animated series. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and, I, and it's nice to see people starting to look back at the animated series now and go, actually, and it's not being decanonized. It's kind of been recanonized in a way. Yeah. No, which is, which is awesome. I mean, even in Picard, you know, they mentioned the Zindi, which is slaver mm-hmm. weapon from animated yeah. series. So yeah, there's certain, certain yeah. connections. <laughs> that was nice to see. I think that's the first time the Kazinti have been mentioned anywhere in the modern series. Yeah, I, I don't. The animated series. I'm not sure if in the um, in the fourth movie you remember there's um, there's a scene when the crew is oh, I know what you mean. To, and there, there's there's some son of a creature, but I'm not or... sure. Nobody kind of looked familiar. Them. I think yeah, it was supposed true. to be occasion, but I honestly couldn't swear, and I don't know if anybody really ever decided. But mm. eh, you know. Well, it it happened. It, there, we'll we'll see. But it was it was really nice to to hear actually it something coming nice. back. Yeah, I'm surprised they did it because I mean there must be all sorts of licensing issues in mentioning the Kazinti. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because, yeah. complicated. <laughs> yeah. So, the time has come. This mm-hmm. is the new segment of the show that I uh, practiced with my previous guest, and uh, this is a kind of game uh, that I call "Do Your Shat," which is a William Shatner, Captain Kirk impression game. <laughs> so, uh, I... okay, is this this is the point where I tell you I can't do impersonations and I'm terrible <laughs> at accents, and I get no end of abuse for my bad accents. <laughs> it's 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 just for fun. If you don't want it, um, I will. I'm it a, I I will do it. Is <laughs> it you, Gary? I'll do it. Oh, that's very kind. But you can laugh at how bad it is. <laughs> Whenever you're ready. Okay, well, is there a particular line you want me to do? Oh, you can do whatever. Hmm. I need to think <laughs> about this now. Because, um, hmm, I'm not going to do Khan because that involves shouting and my daughter will come running through and go, What's wrong? Or my wife will come through, What the fuck are you doing? Um, let me oh think. This, this, this is something. <gasps> yeah. I know, okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of the correct line. The universe is safe for you and me. But what of Lazarus? What of Lazarus? <laughs> Bravo! <laughs> I actually like that episode mainly because of that line, because it's one of the. Uh, that, that's not even an possible, even vague attempt at doing a Shanna, but it, it's one of the moments in the original series where I think you actually see that Shatner actually is capable of being a good subtle actor because Shatner's not always subtle 
Yeah. And in that scene, he's actually really good and he sells it. Even though it's not a great episode, he sells the emotion in that scene. Um, that one's always kind of stuck with me for some bizarre reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I should have done him as Janice Lester because I probably do, you know, a feminine shanta better. But I don't know. Yeah. Uh, for for ne next time, I definitely have to have to prepare a line for next time. I'm so prepare bad. a line. Give me a line. Think of a line and I'll try it. Um, uh, bring me a line. I put me on the mm. put me on the spot and I can't think of a line that's. Um, hmm. Yeah, I can't think of one just now. <laughs> no, I can think about any any of anything. Okay, let let's do space the final frontier. That's a, that's a Shatner one. <laughs> okay, I'm trying to remember. Hmm. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> That's terrible, but you're very. That, that was that was a, that was an awesome experience to to have. And talking about experience, this is something that we touched on uh, pre-recording. And I um I was always fascinated by the um, Hilton Las Vegas Star Trek experience. That I know you you mentioned pre-recording that you have been visiting a few times, and and I think it's been a couple of quite a few years actually that they they closed it off. How was it? 2011. It was the best place ever it's like everybody's everybody's kind of up in arms at the moment about um you know always everyone's excited about galaxy's edge at disneyland mm -hmm. i'm sorry star trek the experience was the i mean star trek the experience was to star trek fans what galaxy edge galaxy's edge is to star wars fans mm -hmm. i can't compare it because i haven't been to galaxy's edge yet but i mean if you can imagine just walking into star trek the experience sold it and the actors who play the actors there dressed up as characters um either an andorian called tarin or a vulcan called tapril they both played by the same person mm -hmm. um klingon vulcan the klingon daha master i've forgotten his name at the moment um ferengi i mean these one called rogel was another one called oh, i can't remember at the moment um but the the actors really sold the place i mean we're talking about a really good re recreation of quarks for a start i mean mm -hmm. it really was like you walked in and you, you're in quarks um but the thing that and the food was actually pretty good i have to say <laughs> but the thing that oh they had this amazing drink called a warp core breach oh it was it was tasty but it was also really strong um <laughs> and it was in this kind of big fishbowl thing with dry ice in it and it steamed it, it was <laughs> it was a big sharing thing so it came with multiple straws Mm -hmm. They were great. They were amazing. Um, there is a recipe out there somewhere. Anyway, um, so they had this recreation of Quarks, which was just amazing, and it was really well done. So you could walk into it, and the actors would wander in. There were Borg, Ferengi. Were there any Darbo girls with Klingons. Darbo table? There were no Darbo girls, but there were definitely Klingons and Romulans and Ferengi wandering mm -hmm. around. It, depending on when you went, there were more or less of them, but there were actors wandering around, and they were always in character. Always in character. They did not break character. So if you en you entered into a conversation with them, they would stick out, and you could just throw stuff at them. You know, <laughs> I remember walking up to this Klingon once, whose name escapes me, because they all had names and used to know them. But I'd say it's like <clears throat> I kind of walked past, and went, "Do I smell lilac?" And this <laughs> then this this came into a back and forth for about five <laughs> or ten minutes, and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." So I mean, and they did not miss a beat. You know, no matter what kind of you came out of them, they had an answer for you. And it was just oh like, my. it was just constant. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it 
So that was amazing fun. Um, and if you you were in costume or anything, that just added to the experience. And we, I always went in costume because uh, mm. I'm a sad nerdy guy. But you know, <clears throat> come on. Yeah, but anyway, it, it was great fun. And there was the history of the future, which had kind of uh, props and costumes from the show and like mm -hmm. a timeline and stuff like that. And that would lead you along to the Borg 4D experience ride. Mm -hmm. um, was it the Borg one? Yes, it was a Borg one, and there was also yeah. the Klingon experience ride, um, both of which were great fun. I preferred the Klingon ride because of the shuttle ride in it, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and the actors would tell you, it's like, yeah, if you if you like being thrown around, sit to the back and to the side because there's more. Because you get, and they were right. It was like, oh, you're in the shuttle <laughs> ride, and flying through and in between buildings in Vegas and into warps and the, uh, subspace warps. It was just, it was so much fun. Mm -hmm. So much fun, uh, and it was very immersive. Wandering through the, you know, getting taken up the bridge in the Enterprise and walking through there and into the turbo lift and the turbo lift fall, and it, it was just so much fun. Or well, Borg 4D when Borg are coming out the walls at you, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> the place was it 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 was Star Trek heaven. Um, I was never disappointed going in there. I was only disappointed when they closed it. Um, funnily enough, I've actually got a picture on my desktop of a bunch of us in the place now. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, bridge photo there as well. Um, I was copying photos for something else. I've still got a few of them on my desktop. <laughs> so yeah, it was just so much fun. And I don't think anybody that came there with us was ever disappointed. Because we went in 2005 when we were on a honeymoon, my wife and I went. And then we mm -hmm. went back the following year. Then the year after that we convinced our friend and his husband to come along. I mean, they were both friends, so we convinced mm -hmm. them to come along. And then the year after that, we dragged some more friends along. <laughs> I think at one point there was a group of about six or seven of us went, and it was just it was just a lot of fun. And I, I have nothing but fond memories of that place. And I was gutted when they closed it because mm -hmm. the last time I was there, I never thought the last time I left the place it would be the last time I was there. Mm -hmm. And had I known, I think I would have hung around a lot longer before I left. Um, I'd always kind of hoped to go back and I never did get to go back after I think 2008 was the last time I was there and it closed in 2011 mm. so that was kind of or maybe it was there, I must have been there in 2009 actually if it closed mm -hmm. in 2011 because we were in Vegas briefly in 2009 so I must have gone down then mm -hmm. um, but yeah so I was there two years before it closed and then that was it so I wish I'd known that was the last time I was there I maybe would have bought more merchandise <laughs> <laughs> and spent even more time there, um, and eaten more of Moogie's pasta because I really liked Moogie's pasta. It was. It good. really had Moogie's pasta. So it had Moogie's loads pasta. Of... Um, I'm pretty sure, if I remember rightly, it had sun-dried tomatoes in it, and it was fizzily, and it was really tasty, actually. Um, it was. Yeah. Was it, it pre-chewed? <laughs> I really hope not, because it tasted good. Um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't pre-chewed. I really hope it wasn't pre-chewed. <laughs> I think I might have sent it back if it was pre-chewed. <laughs> Gosh. No, I, I, I cannot even imagine. I mean, I, as I mentioned, you're off-camera. Um, off-camera, off-recording. Um, I I always wondered how it would be how it would be just to go there, because that was really just was for Star Trek that... Um, I'm not sure if you've been a fan of Doctor Who, but the Doctor Who experience in, in Cardiff... Like I, have, I happened to visit two times, and I remember um, a couple of years ago they closed that one too, which mm. is a bit bit of a shame because it was I a fantastic never got to experience. The Doctor Who one. Um, I, I I I like Doctor Who a lot. I'm not as big a <laughs> Doctor Who fan as I am a Star Trek fan, so I never did get down to the Cardiff experience, and I mm. regret not having gone. 
Yeah, especially now that it closed up. Yeah. Maidler's such. I can imagine that it must have been even like ten times better than. I mean, better in a scale of size and grand than. You have a bigger universe in Star Trek, in a I don't sense. No, actually, but I don't know how the, the two of them would have compared. Uh, I mean, certainly the footprint in Vegas was massive. Mm. Um, and I was like, I mean, it was the way they got you coming off that shuttle and then shuffled out was really good. And obviously, you come off the shuttle and you come straight into the shops, the promenade shops. Well, the um, the Doctor Who one started in a lobby, and then you you queued up. It was a um, small. A small place where the curator was showing us in a screen, showing okay. that oh, you know, this is the Time Lords and this is Gallifrey, and then oh, this is the Doctor. Let's see if we can get a touch on touch with him or something. And and then obviously something happened, so there was a cracking, cracking, and cracking mm-hmm. wall. <laughs> the wall opened up, and you ended up in in different rooms, and you had to go through like Dalek experience. So you have to, mm-hmm. you were in the, in the control room that you had to, like four. There was like four joysticks, and you had to. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> play around with it, which was awesome, and then you ended up in a Dalek place, and then, and then in a weeping angel forest, and mm-hmm. you had to collect some crystals. And at the end of the day, the doctor was um, coming in and out every now and then, saying that, "Hey, okay, like one more crystal. Okay, I think I'm able to materialize the Thyrus inside the TARDIS." And <laughs> it was fun. It was a fun experience. And I, I probably would have enjoyed the... it. Yeah, I think that, I that, that was it. fun, and I did it twice. And I, yeah, I, I was, I was really tempted to go back again, but I, I couldn't. I was unable to afford it when mm-hmm. just before it was a, it was a massive send off for, for the thing. And um, I, I still don't understand why I didn't yeah, just, um, you know, renew the license and. I know. And well, Vegas. Yeah, the Star Trek experience was the same. It's like it just came in down to. Um, Paramount Parks have been sold to Cedar Fair, and Cedar Fair was trying to want. Mm-hmm were willing to keep it going but then the Hilton put the rates up and they just couldn't mm-hmm. come to an agreement mm. yeah well, there was talk of relocating because someone had bought all the assets right they were going to relocate it to Neonopolis which is on the Fremont Street experience mm-hmm. or down beside the Fremont Street experience on mm-hmm. downtown Vegas but then the financial crash happened and it all just fell through and then oh, a few yeah. years later we sold all the bits off yeah so yeah which but it was again been, a bit of a shame yeah, well. yeah it would have been nice to actually see it relocated but it's ridiculous because they shut it down literally the same year that a film was coming out (laughs) yeah was it it was around about the time i think it was around the same time yeah 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 and they had the auction and i think after the auction that they they announced that oh we're gonna do a star trek movie and we just sold out everything what's gonna happen now maybe it wasn't 2011 it closed down i think 2009 was the new movie Maybe it was 2009 that the experience closed. I'd need to check. Maybe it was 2009, actually. Mm. In which case, the last time I went would have been 2008. That would make sense. Mm. That well, would make sense. Nevertheless, I guess all good things. Yeah. Yeah, but it was <laughs> a shame. Uh, very it's sad to see it go. And I know the st- a lot of the stuff that worked there still, like, you know, miss it. Mm. But yeah, it's. I wish I could go back. <laughs> Alas, I do I not w- have a time machine. I, I wish I could go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because we were in in a honeymoon in Las Vegas, but obviously that was a few years ago, and mm-hmm. there was no sign of any Star Trek. Yeah, which is it was Avengers though. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, where did you, where did you stay in Vegas? Um, New York, New York. 
Uh, actually, that's a nice one. I like New York, New York. We've stayed in the mm. MGM, which is just across the road. Just across the road, yeah. Um, and a couple of other places. But I, I, I like Vegas. I mean, it's very, it's a bit of an acquired taste in some ways, I think. Mm. I probably would never have gone. If, I mean, probably the only reason we ever went there was the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I must admit, I, I like Vegas, and I do like going back. And, I'm, and the yearly Star Trek convention is one of the things that makes me go back as well. Yeah. Um, well, at least at least the Star Trek convention is held in more or less the same places as the experience. So that's your yearly annual Star Trek experience. Roughly. Well, it <laughs> used to be in the Hilton, and then they moved it to the Rio. The Rio, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, some people don't like the Rio. I like the Rio. I think it's fine. It's off. It's a little bit off strip. I like the pool there. But I, I think it's a decent. <laughs> I think I think it's a good venue for the, for mm-hmm. the for the convention, and it works for it. There can always be better venues, but I, I have no complaints about the Rio. Um, other people's mileage may vary. I have nothing so, but good memories there. <laughs> so talking about good memories, I'm going to straight cut to this. Um, when you think about Star Trek, someone shouts it from the very far, and you're in a in a shift, you know, in in your working day, and someone shouts Star Trek. What is the first thing that comes to your mind? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> Probably Next Generation. Um, Enterprise D. Picard, Darmok, things <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's stuff like that. I mean, but nothing but, to be honest, nothing but good memories because mm. I think, I mean, nothing's a hundred percent good, but I think generally it, it gets you back to the whole warm blanket thing. I mean, it is very much a warm blanket for me, and it's a comfortable, happy place for me. Um, as soon as it, it's funny because it's like I was at work today and I saw one of the anesthetist that I haven't seen for a while. I said, oh, he's good. I said, because he was, I, I was, at, I was running, so I wasn't in PPE today. So, mm-hmm. um, but he was in theater in PPE and he came to the door and he's like, waved me over because it's like, when the guys are in theater in PPE and you're the runner, you have to bring stuff into them. So they'll kind of wave it. What do you need? And Gamer mm-hmm. said, to the, yeah, yeah. Uh, have you watched Picard yet? It's like, <laughs> dude, I haven't seen you in like, <laughs> about six months and this is the first thing you said you seen Picard yet it's like yeah 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 what did you think of it it's like so and as soon as somebody starts a conversation about Star Trek I'm like ah, wah, wah. and it's like we're back and forth for like mm-hmm. while they're talking about it and it's like it's just it just immediately elevates my mood immediately elevates my mood because it's just it is my go-to happy place that's your go-to warm blanket <laughs> absolutely absolutely which is the point of your podcast but yeah it immediately raises my mood Mm-hmm. No, like, that's ah, awesome. Somebody else that gets it. That's great. No, that's awesome. And you know, like, there's there's never a wrong wrong answer in this case because a warm blanket can be mean a lot of things for anyone um, that I always refer to. And and for me, it's 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 the whole franchise. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's just Star Trek Five. Sometimes it's just Star Trek Voyager. Sometimes it's just I don't know. It, I agree. It doesn't matter because I love all of it. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Short Treks, the Tribbles one. Oh my god, I know some people hate it. I think it's the funniest, funniest 10 minutes of Star Trek I've ever seen. It's, it's the funniest. I, it's I, I, I agree. I, I, agree. I, I, I agree on that. I know there's quite a few people who <laughs> don't like it. I don't get it. I, I just laughed. And the better thing, the guy playing um, Edward is Archer. Oh, have you uh, never watched Archer? Oh, the, um, the animated spy series. Never. The guy playing Edward is Archer. So it's like a double Star Trek for you, and he's almost, <laughs> almost playing the same character. To be honest, 
Oh my. There's a lot of Archer in Edward. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's actually like, ah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I almost think they wrote that part for you and they pointedly <laughs> had that in mind. They've watched Archer and go, ah oh, yeah. You have to Gosh. watch Archer. If you like childish humor and, spy <laughs> and animated spy series, you'll love it. It's hilarious and it's crazy and insane and off the wall. Um, yeah, I really like it. I, I might give it a go. I, I have a theory, I have a rule that I give it, I give everything a go at least once and we'll see what happens. Hey, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but you know, what is? No, I know, I know. I recently, I, I um, and this is a bit of an off topic um, towards the end, but um, Sean kept saying me, truck on a tube, um, <laughs> kept saying me that I watched, watched The Expense, watched The Expense, watched The Expense. Oh. I, I tried once. It didn't get me. No, 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 no. I tried the second time uh-huh. with my wife. We tried uh-huh. it together. Um, Seventeen minutes, and we and we we both decided not to <laughs> go any further. <laughs> no, it I was, get it. It was a different show. Believe me, I get it. But you kind of have to hang in with the expanse because there's mm. a lot of world building done in the early episodes. Okay. See, once you get past the world building, it's great. It's okay. because uh, it's okay. slow. It is slow. It takes. Did you ever watch Game yeah. of Thrones? No, and I'm not planning to. That first season of Game of Thrones is a slog to get through. The first few episodes, because mm-hmm. it's again, it's all world building. Who are these guys? What? What? The, what? Who? What? Where? I, I can't keep track of all these. The Expanse is a bit like that, and it's a little bit overload, but it's also very slow and plodding when it starts off. Mm-hmm. It's seriously worth waiting. It's it's worth the time invested in it because I, I i can't wait to see the next season of the expanse i love it love the expanse okay. i i i told sean that i'm gonna give another um a third try i and I'm, actually, I'm actually going to i'm going to sit down the whole episode what i what i would suggest is you really need to get through the first at least three or four episodes mm-hmm. okay um and that's a little bit of an effort i i would uh, possibly but it it's it really does pay off okay um yeah and the cast are amazing it's just it's a great setting Mm -hmm. it's a really good setting and it's really well realized yeah it's a good show the action's awesome too and actually it's probably the most it's very realistic space combat as well Mm -hmm. um yeah but it's very different to star trek (laughs) well thank you Thank you very much for uh, for being the show. It was it was really awesome to finally make this happen and and you know chat about um, all of these things that we just chat about. And it was it was an absolute joy um, for me, and I hope you enjoyed yourself as well. I I have had great fun. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's really good to hear. That's 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 what I that's what I like to hear. No, <laughs> been very relaxed and just waffling, so that works for me. That works for me too. <laughs> So thank you again for for being here. If um, anyone from the audience wants to uh, reach out to Nick, um, I know you're in Twitter. You're as as at Nick Cook, if I remember correctly. I help uh, me out here. Um, I'd have to where, check it. Where, where your fans can, can connect Nick with Jay you? Cook. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Nick J Cook on Twitter. And you're on Facebook, and and your um, when your fantastic show Star Trek Starship, Starship Intrepid. We also have a website, starshipintrepid.net. There you go. Which isn't updated that much because we mostly keep the Facebook page up to date. But someone did contact me recently and said, you've not updated your website in a couple of years. It's like, yeah, because nobody visits websites anymore. (laughs) (laughs) They'll go to Facebook. 
all, all, all the hits are on Facebook and YouTube, you know? Yeah. Um, but I probably should update the website at some point. <laughs> well, thank you very much again. It was a blast to, um, to talk to you today. Um, thank you very much, listeners, to join up uh, for another episode of the War Blanket Podcast. And I'll see you, everyone, in the next episode. Live long and prosper. Take care. That was it for this episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it and rest assured, new episodes will be coming out every week where we sit down with a Trekkie to find out what makes us feel good about Star Trek and to discover what is our warm blanket made of. If you really enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app. It would really mean a lot to me. To find out more about this audio adventure, please visit truckerprize.com forward slash podcast where you can also listen to the previous episodes. Thank you again for listening to yet another episode of the Warm Blanket Podcast, and I'll see you in the next episode. Live long and prosper.